we have different skin. Mm-hmm. My coworker said she was like, yeah. And then she said, well, we could still be best friends. The voice you just heard was one of my students from this past semester. Did she just say students? I sure did. This past year, I started teaching at Temple University, so while I'll always be MG the venue specialist, I'm really enjoying my role as Professor MG. As a project for my leadership and organizations class, the students paired up to record a short podcast about what they've enjoyed and learned in class so far, incorporating the role of emotional intelligence in their lives. With the students' permission to use their project for this season, I've broken each recording into bite-sized clips. This week, I'm joined by my friend and now colleague, Dr. Ben Torsney. We'll listen to the clips and carry on the conversation started by Onassis and Josh. If you're looking to gain insight into motivational teaching styles and creating psychologically safe classrooms, you are in the right place. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the following episode, Coaching in the Classroom 307. Don't be late to class. Class is back in session. My guest today is my friend, Dr. Ben Torsney, who you might recognize from season two of Beyond the Venue podcast. How's it going today, Ben? Hey, Mary Grace. How you doing? Nice to see you. Super excited to have you here today. Um, You know, before I just start gushing away as to um, how excited I am to be in the the position I am now as Professor MG, I'll let you tell a little bit, um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself first, if they did not yet get to know all about you from season two. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Ben Torsney. I'm a professor at Temple University. Known Mary Grace for, oh shoot, how long at this point? 12, 12, 12 years. years. 12 years, 12, something like 12. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Father, partner, former, as you say, former Division three basketball star. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that's a good way. That's a good way to um yeah, but I wore, yeah. I wore jersey number 41 just like Jack Nabisky so I can't wait I can't wait it's coming up it's March great. Marty plans are already in the in the works for my I'm Jack Nabisky sure <laughs> um so, hopefully he does a cameo I wish he does he do cameo Bob has already looked into this and Dirk Nowitzki is not on cameo uh, so um so if you're able to use your you know your basketball connections um we, we can talk more offline on this, but for, for, for <laughs> listeners <laughs> that are like, what, what are they talking about? Um, my husband, uh, you know, years ago started associating your, uh, whatever year, what, whatever your, your, um, your age, uh, that's, he connects it to a Jersey number from a sports player from any and all sports. So, um, Ben just turned Brian Westbrook recently and uh being originally from dallas texas as well as having spent a lot of my life studying the german language and living in germany um i'm clearly a huge dirk Nowitzki fan so for years and years i had said i don't really care about my 40th birthday but 41 is going to be epic so that's going to be coming up in 2023 and i'm very excited um but uh so getting back to uh Season two of the podcast, it's crazy to think that we were recording our episode for season two, literally this time last year, because you were gearing up to uh, go back uh, to Temple for fall semester. Um, And then 
you and I met for lunch late October, early November, and you're like, we need adjuncts. So, <laughs> yeah, right. so you're the reason that I, I ended up um, at Temple as an adjunct professor teaching and uh, leadership and organizations and team processes. And this podcast project that I had the students do, I believe was actually a suggestion of yours. You having seen, you know, what I had done with Beyond the Venue that when I needed a project for the students to do while I was going to be out of town that week to go to New Orleans, you're like, why not have them record a podcast? So um, we are now coming full circle. And I believe you had both Josh and Onassis in your interpersonal communications class. I did. Yes. So yes. that that was the biggest reason that I, I wanted to to pair all of us together today. So um, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and jump into our first clip. Let's do it. I'm Onassis Nilly. I'm Josh Eisman. Yeah, our mission statement is for to get a better understanding of leadership within organizations and talk about different types of styles. And that gets us into uh, our first question that I had for Onassis. And it's um, over the course of time, you've had a lot of experience playing within different football teams, different coaches, different ages, different skill levels. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on different leadership styles and what works the best for you and maybe has worked the best. I've been to a lot of different leadership styles and throughout my playing career. Since I've been playing football, basketball, ran a little track as well. And um, there's a lot of different leadership styles. I start from high school. High school, um, I had a coach, I had a coaching Tyler Studer. He was very relaxed and he and he really didn't get up on us for a lot of different, he, didn't, he really didn't like get on our case a lot unless like, Things did not go his way, but most of the time, things a lot of things went went his way. We really didn't have any like altercations throughout it, and with like any of our teammates as well, like no altercations a lot throughout it. And the team really enjoyed him, and he was around the players, and he built a fantastic relationship around with with our players. And uh, coming to college, it was a different setting, different. I I never I met the coach. I met the coach one two times, but it's different for meeting the coach inside of recruiting to re to meeting him when you're on a playing field and you're actually in there going going through the motion with him and getting coached up by him. It's lot it's two different things. But mentioned back on um mentioned back on my high school coach, one time he didn't have to he didn't have to recruit me out to play football because of the fact that like I, I wanted to play it. So it's, it's high school ball. So like you, you can you know what I'm saying like you don't really recruit type of thing. So it's different. So we always had like a genuine great great connection. I can talk to him whenever. I can call him right now and speak to him whenever. He's a great dude. But watching late to college, like I said, is different from recruiting and and being coached up. My my coach in college, my first my first coach, it, it was a lot different because of the fact that like he he really wasn't he really wasn't like hands on with the players. He was really like a lay, like a lay. He, he really was like a distance. He seen from a distance. But if he but if he seen something didn't go his way or like whatever. He would he would go on your case about it really hard, and and he just ran things a lot differently, and his leadership style wasn't really a, like fitting for 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 our, for our organization and also our players. People lost his trust, and people lost the way that that, that he was a leader. People didn't really look at him as a leader as uh, as that. But after two years, after being two years in college and and seeing and seeing his type of leadership style, we got a new coach just just come in. Which, which she was very fitting to Lisa style that we were that, we, that the players were looking for, and he contrasted with the players a lot well better 
than the, than the previous coaches. He reminded me highly of my high school coach that I speak so highly of him. He reminds me of him because of the fact that, like, he's hands-on with the players. You can go to his office. anytime you want to go to his office and speak to him. But, Josh, uh, I got a question for you. What uh, leaders, what type of leaders that, uh, what type of leaders have you had throughout th- throughout your life, on, off the field or even on the field that you, that you want to express about? Oh, well, yeah, first, I was, I just wanted to say I had some awesome points there. It sounds like your leaders that you've had in the past with more emotional intelligence, the more hands-on approach have affected you and your teammates in a much more positive way than the other, other side of that. And for me, um, I, so I used to, I used to work at Arlene High School and my boss there was a great leader. She oversaw the child, child care department. She oversaw um, community outreach, which had to do with giving out resources and helping out the community there. There's a lot of people that need help in that area. We had a very, very good bond. Everyone, everyone liked working with one another. If there were ever, and there were altercations that we'd have with like people would disagree on like how to work with the kids, what to teach them, just getting tired maybe of like being in the same room with the same person right. for every day of the week. And you know those problems would all get squashed as a team. You know she, she, she do a really good job of sitting us down and explaining to each of us what both of our sides were and no problems ever were everlasting. They always got squashed and we were able to continue to move on. So one of the first things I had asked uh, Onassis in class when I saw him in person after listening to their project, I'm like, were you super nervous? And he's like, oh my gosh, yes. Because <laughs> Onassis does not talk that fast uh, in person. So I he think- just, He does not. He had, I think he had this nervous energy, um, but I absolutely loved having these two students in class and, you know, they, they were fantastic because I, I was fortunate to have them in both team processes and leadership. Um, so Ben, you know, my question for you after listening to this clip, you know, do you have someone that's made an impact on you through their leadership and or teaching style? Because um, I feel like the style of leadership that um, Josh and Onassis appreciate is very similar to your teaching style. Sure. Um, and then as a, as follow up what type of learning culture do you like to create for your students yeah um so definitely i think i think more so recently i've had i, I used to think coaches but now i think teachers probably had more of an impact on on who i am and i'm thinking like it's it, I'll, I'll come back to this i'll come back to this so there's so there's a few so there's a few teachers or at least one in particular who I've had that that kind of I've I've taken his entire like his entire style as my own teaching style and it's and it's fantastic right like so he's a professor he's like a he's a full professor in educational psychology actually the first guy that I had for a teacher um at Temple um his name's his name's Avi Kaplan he's a he's a world renowned professor in motivation uh, so I had him in my first class in graduate school in in 2010, and I walked into his class, and, and he sat us all down. He's like, "All right, I want you all to know that there are are no grades in this class. Everyone is getting an A. So we're not we're not going to be here to worry about our grades. We're going to be here just to worry about learning." And I think for I think for him is 
it was very much like, I'm going to take away any point of anxiety that you may have. And we're going to run this class very conversationally. I'm not going to lecture at you, which I also don't do. I don't, I don't do much lecture, but I do do a ton of conversation. Uh, that's how I think, that's how I think classes, um, classes should go. And I think he also, he also knows, and this comes from a, from a kind of a motivation theory or a, or a, maybe a positive psychology theory um, called self-determination theory, where it looks at three components, like people have three needs, right? Three psychological needs they're trying to fulfill. Um, one is for relatedness, one is for competence, and one is for autonomy. Um, so I, I think about that in my classes, like, do my students feel competent in my class? Do they feel like they have the autonomy to learn? And is the class conducive to them feel as, as they have like a sense of belonging and feeling related to people? I think those are the best teachers. Um, you know, and, and mind you, you, you know, you have to, you can't let people walk all, walk all over you and give them nothing to do, but to give them the freedom to explore, I think, I think is really important. Uh, yeah, one of the things um, I, I was able to take a webinar uh, through Temple last, like, I think last month, but it was about uh, creating an environment of psych psychological safety. Yeah. And so I think it. that that's definitely something that, that you've done um, in like the classes that we've spoken about. And that's, you know, a lot of the elements that I, I feel like that was something I definitely strived for this last semester, but um, you know, there's always room for improvement. And not so, everyone though. I've yeah. had some, I've had some really, really difficult classes, especially, sure. especially within the past few years, really, really difficult classes, um, which makes things, which, you know, which makes things, which makes you question a lot of what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's it, so, and what I was going to, what I was thought I was going to say first is I really think that, that the way that we do education these days, obviously I'm an educational psychologist. So I think about these things a lot is, um, is teaching. I don't think we, I think our teaching is, I don't, I don't think our teaching is good. Mm. And I think if we thought if we, and this is kind of what Anassis was talking about is like, if we, if we make our teachers become coaches, it's a very different thing, right? Coaches, coaches set up basically scaffold a strategy for players to do the action, right? Teachers traditionally lecture and flick slides that's not scaffolding any action that's you telling them what they need to that's just you telling them everything they need and then they can move on but then they're not doing anything so if you scaffold the action which in which they need and then have them do the action that's a really important thing that's that's where the learning happens right as opposed to just saying it's like this is what this bold word means now here's a test tell me what it means again which that, right. that connects to um, in one of our earlier episodes of this season, um, Sarah Lenny brings up um, in one of her other classes had watched a TED talk about how schools kill creativity. Yeah, sure. Um, and that speaks exactly to to what you're saying. So that's exactly what I think you and I try and fight against. And I think good. I think I think good leaders and good teachers, because I think teachers are leaders. I think coaches are leaders. I think teachers should be coaches. Uh, and again, this comes from comes from my sports background, but but a lot of you know, I think what's really important is is giving people the tools they need to, you know, they need to they need to 
giving them the tools that they need to be successful, but not telling them what they need to do. Show them, show them what the tools can do if you use them a certain way, and then have giving them the autonomy to use that thing the way they want to do it, right? As opposed to just making things extremely rigid, which I think we do, which I think we do a lot in education is we make things rigid. This is what you need to know. This is how you do it. You're done. You're you're good. But that's not. And I think we need to teach people how to manipulate the things that we give them. And I don't think we do that a lot. And it's, and you know, as far as like different teaching styles, it's, it's been really interesting over this last semester to understand um, with the new football coach um, that, that Temple has brought on how the, because I had a lot of football players in both of my classes that the guys who were on the team before the new coach came around, like how different their coaching styles have been and how transformative it's been for the team now and how excited they are to play for this new coach. And sure. um, I think we definitely need to go check out a couple games this fall. Well, a couple of things that you need to think about. Well, first off, the new coach is an Allegheny grad. So that's, that's right. Makes, that's right. <laughs> already makes him already makes him awesome. The Allegheny second, is where uh, Ben uh, did his undergrad and where he was a basketball legend. Number correct, 41. Correct. And then, uh, and then from my from my understanding, by all accounts, what the previous coach could not do is create a sense of belonging among the players. What this coach is doing is creating a sense of belonging among the players. So if you want if you want to get the most out of your team, this idea of relatedness and sense of belonging is what kind of stirs the pot. So you can have people of varying different levels and varying levels of motivation. I don't think you've level very varying levels of skill, but when you get someone in there that can relate to the kids and encourage them and be there for them and show that you care and create an atmosphere where everybody cares about everybody else, that's that's like that's special. And not everybody can do that. That right? also sounds like what we're trying to do in the classroom as well. It's it's been interesting to see the parallels of how NASA speaks about a coach as how it relates to us as as teachers. There are so many things that need to be that need to be fulfilled before you can just get to like like get to like say gain this knowledge. So many so many things, right? Like you have to want the students to want to be there. You have to have them interested. You have to have them motivated. You have to have them engaged. You have to give them voice. I mean, there's so many things in there before you even just like show me that you know this material. And I don't think they don't, and they don't, they don't, they don't tell you that. And they don't teach you that. Well, and this is going to come up in the next clip. Um, Josh talks about like being able to like feel welcome um, within the yeah. community. So to set, set the stage for this next clip, uh, Josh asks Onassis about his thoughts and feelings surrounding diversity and inclusion in leadership. Uh, I've definitely experienced that growing up because um, I, I went to a predominantly, I moved, I moved to the suburbs when I was like nine, 19 years old, eight, eight, 19 years old. So, so I've experienced that. I've, I've been there since eight to, to the age of 19 before I came into college and I came to a more diverse school. So it was, it was, I want to experience the same things I experienced back in, back in the, uh, back in the suburbs rather than being at Temple University with it being so diverse. So, um, yeah, I experienced, I, I experienced those things a lot. Um, Coming like I would say like if I would like go home go to like a grocery store or something like that, they would they would like they would ask me like what are you doing here type of thing or things along those things along like those lines and look at me weird or not or not want to 
not want to be around me or things or things like that because because a stereotype like yeah that, that like that, uh that that diverse people might carry around they yeah. they'll look at it they'll look at it as that and 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 that's why they'll view me as before they actually get like to know me so they would not want to be around me or they hear things about me they, they hear anything about me they will not be around me but but like me knowing myself like like i'm not i don't care those traits and and once they get to know me, like it's a different story, but but definitely I've I've experienced I've experienced those type of those those type of things. Yeah, and I mean that's that's a it's a really negative mindset. And to go off that, um, would you would you say that you feel that when people are more emotionally intelligent and just understanding of that that's just wrong, like when you feel welcome from the start, does that just make you feel a stronger connection? To like leaders that you'd have to work for either mm-hmm. throughout like throughout like the leaders that i've had they 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 i've never had I, i've never I'm, I'm blessed to say this but i never since leaders that i've had i've never i've never experienced that because I, I feel like once like once once like they know me not not even knowing once like they speak to me and like they get understanding about like 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 um how i grew up or like like the way I talk type of things, like they wouldn't look at me as like a negative person or like think about that, like that stereotype was me. So, so, so yeah, I would say I'm pretty blessed not to, uh, not to go across, not to cross those lines. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really, you know, good point to make that no leader you've ever had has had that type of mindset because that's not how you're going to get to that, that spot of being a leader, you know? <laughs> yeah. Facts though. Facts though. You make such excellent points and, you know, just goes back to everything we were just talking about. So um, I'm going to bring it back. Uh, we talked about this interpersonal communication class that you taught in, in the fall. Um, did you end up teaching it in the spring or are you teaching it this coming fall? Nope. I think okay. it was, a, I think it was a one and done kind of thing. Um, but, you know, the students that uh, I had in my classes that took your interpersonal communications class absolutely loved it. Um, and said it was one of the best classes they had ever taken. So what, <laughs> <laughs> which it's, it's amazing to hear that because, you know, I just remember how, you know, your approach going into it that, you know, this was a class that was kind of thrown at you that it's like, okay, you're going to teach this. And so having to figure out what you were going to do and make a plan and, you know, kind of sticking to your the teaching style that you already use, you know, how, how do you think the class went and, you know, do you, do you realize how impactful it was for your students? Uh, so I think there's a, I think there's a couple things. I think first, maybe it was beneficial that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> potentially. Potentially. Uh, as a, as a, classic overthinker i can totally feel you on that point yeah so and you also have to understand that like i teach every class like a psychology class so if you put me so if you put me in a certain class like i'm going to throw psychology at you or or think about it in in psychological ways not you know from a very kind of like human behavior kind of um kind of level but again like the way i think the way that i the way that i teach the way that i teach is 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 conducive for I think for for student learning, because I make them responsible for their own learning. Right again, I'm not like the 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 responsibility. Like 
reading, right? It's it's silly because we have this we have this all completely backwards, right? It's like I want you to read, and then I'm going to cover again what you are already supposed to read, and that's just a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of my time. It's boring. It's a waste of their time. They're bored. So what I did is I said, this is what you need. This is the reading. You need to read this. If you read it, cool. If you don't, that's on you. This is. Uh, this is when this thing is due. We are going to discuss that reading in class. And when I mean discuss, I mean like we're going to talk about it. We're going to go deeper into it. We're going to think about what it means. We're going to do some activities related to the reading. Um, and you are allowed to say whatever you want, right? You're allowed to engage with this reading however you possibly want, uh, or engage with this with this topic. And I also put I also throw them in groups too to be like, hey, I need you to present this thing. Uh, which makes them responsible for for essentially engaging their classmates. Uh, so a lot of times, again, it's it's more it's more of, of a facilitation or coaching than it is straight lecture, right? Like I'm not that I'm not that dude in a in a tweed coat up on a, up on stage like lecturing about just throwing facts at you because that's not it, right? That's that's it's not fun for you and that's not fun for me, especially if you've already read about those facts. So I think they probably, I think probably what has happened is they haven't had, they've had, they've had traditional teachers their entire lives, right? They haven't had the, the Avi Kaplan teachers, the Avi Kaplan teachers that, that give you all the autonomy to think about things the way you want to do it. My, I mean, I think my goal is obviously I have to have knowledge of the subject. Or like to at least know a little bit about what I'm talking about, but it's also my responsibility to make the class a, a place where people feel like they belong. That's my one main responsibility. Feeling welcome, right? like what they talked about. That's yeah. it, and, and feeling and feeling psychological safe. And again, I've been in charge of classrooms where I have done a terrible job of making things psychologically safe, right? And we can get. I mean, we can talk. We can talk about that, but. You know, I think one of the things, one of the things that I, that's that is important for a teacher is to make the classroom conducive for people to have voice. And people and people are privileged in very different ways in the classroom. And, and I'm thinking about privilege in terms of like some people like large discussions, some people like group work, some people like individual things. Well, that's how I'm, I'm coming to peace more with um, with teams now being asynchronous. Um, and we're only meeting once a week. And I'm like, why are we doing this? Because it's it's team processes. <laughs> they need to be working together. So now Correct. I'm starting to come up with all of these kind of creative ways of what I can do with um, this asynchronous lesson. And, you know, having conversations in the in the Wellstruck community that realizing as like an extrovert that there are a lot of students are introverts and maybe they're going to feel a lot more comfortable kind of speaking their mind or saying like really what they're thinking and responding to the reading, responding to like a recorded lecture um, because they're not having to like speak up in front of class. Yeah. So um, you'll, so you'll find, so, so as a, you know, as you, as you get deeper into it um, and again, this is, this comes, this is advice from another teacher that I've had another expert teacher who said, who's like, you have to understand that, that, not every student is going to engage the same way in the class, mm -hmm. which means that how you set up the class will privilege some students versus the others. So if there's someone like you or me who don't who doesn't mind speaking in front of 20 people or 30 people, cool. 
we're going we're gonna to be successful in a discussion class that uses whole class discussion. Some people like to be in small groups. Some people thrive in small groups, right? Some people thrive individually by doing individual assignments. They may not look like they're engaging with the larger discussion, but they probably are. They're probably writing stuff down. Or, or if you, but if you give them time to break those things up, and there's like different activities that you can do. So I always like, so, you know, for this class, I always started off with, here's a question that I have. Take two minutes or three minutes to write your thoughts on it. That privileges the people who don't want to talk. Then I say, all right, find somebody who you want to talk with about what you found or find a couple people, right? That privileges the people who like the smaller groups. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to have a large group discussion. And then you hear the normal, the, you know, the normal people in the large group discussion. Uh, but those are, but, but there's, but there's ways of, there's a ways of kind of like getting everybody to chat. And that's not even talking about, and then, you know, there's other kind of, there's other kind of, you know, I guess things to, to take into consideration as well. So like Temple's a very diverse place, right? Temple, you can have a lot of different students, racially diverse, socioeconomically diverse, age diversity to make people feel welcome. That's a, that's a challenge, right? Because you, because you want everybody to feel, feel good. You want everybody to feel psychologically safe. And a lot of times, you know, there's, there's psychology talks about, it's like, depending on who's in the classroom, some groups may feel, depending on what that identity is and the intersections of those identity may feel as though that they can't talk or they don't want to talk or they're scared to talk because they might feel like they don't, like they're not smart enough or they not, might feel, not feel like they belong. Right. So it's, so it's a delicate balance between, uh, between many, many, I guess, different aspects when you're, when you're teaching. So I think one of the things that I try to, one of, just to bring it back, like I think one of the things that I try to do is, is really make sure that first and foremost, people know that I'm not that that stuffy dude who's just going to be up there and like and judge and judge them based on, you know, based on like a test or a midterm. Like I want them to talk, I want them to share, I want them to make mistakes. I don't know and say a lot of swear words in class. I think that's always fun. <laughs> I say a lot of swear words in class, but I but I but I but I do that for I do that for a reason. One because I say a lot of swear words all the time, but two I think it shows it's like oh. it's humanizing a professor, and that's yeah. that's yeah. what some of these uh, you know one of the other recordings of another student group. It's you know the they recognize the difference between like all the professors that they've had, and some are just cold and emotionless and you know unresponsive versus teaching is not, you know, not like, that though teaching is not that teaching mm -hmm. is not teaching is not a profession where you can be cold and you can be emotionless and you can't answer your students emails that's not it again it's like it's like it's like coaching you have to be hands-on with the students you have to tell them when they're fucking up you have to tell them when they're when they're doing things but you have to encourage them you have to tell them that they're doing well that they're trying hard you have to be like you have to tell them try harder i mean i tell students all the time like i mean onassis for one and that's I've, and he was so wonderful like there was uh an assignment that he turned in and i was like no <laughs> just yeah. I, I looked i looked to you for advice on it but Not college like, level he's, work. he's done better i know he can do better i'm more than happy to give him an extension um, and then he turned in, you know, a brilliant paper that it's like, I definitely understand. And I, I really appreciated, um, the vulnerability and the courage that these 
students had to speak up and say, like, I need a mental health day. I need, you know, I need an extension on this paper. You know, he works hard. He it's, works hard. And and that's and that's why and that's why I would say stuff. It's like this is not college level work because he would because he would respond to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Just like just like if one of his coaches is just like you're going through the motions or you're not trying hard, you can do better than this. He'd respond to that. Some people don't. Right. Or, or, or I, you know, I, I like to be very direct with people and be like, I don't know what's going on. And, but this work isn't good. We need to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Or, and all, or everyone or, I had to have need. those conversations with was very receptive. And what you need from me, how mm-hmm. can I help you? <clears throat> how can I support you? And they, they they respond to that very well. So I think that segues excellently into our next clip where the theme is helping the next generation of leaders. And and, that, and that's terrible if a leader would go across those lines or look at somebody because of the fact that they they look different than you or something or something like that or like even like just general just like looking at somebody anybody comes in like like, like somebody comes in for an interview just if someone comes in for an interview and maybe they don't have maybe they don't have the money to to dress in a full three three part suit and they and they come in with like a polo shirt and some jeans on you you should treat them as a leader I feel like and during that position I feel like you should treat them the same way as you should treat somebody who comes in with with a three part suit even though they don't have that and once you probably get to talk to them and know them that like that you will get the understanding about why they show up in that or you know what I'm saying things are like those lines you know what I'm saying yeah for sure I think that relates to um what what you what we wanted to talk about with with um me being a preschool teacher and as well too I, the biggest thing for me when I'm trying to teach these kids because they're three to five is just how to treat people and just you know being nice to being nice to everyone and one thing one thing that made me made me feel good the other day was my coworker came up to me and said that this this girl in my class she can't come up to her and said she like put her arm out like this and she, she's like, she's, she's black. She is like dark skin. My coworker is white, has white skin. And she put her arm up to her and was like, we have different skin. Mm-hmm. My coworker said, she was like, yeah. And then she said, well, we could still be best friends. That's a beautiful thing. And yeah. And she said, and, and that's, and that's what I had told her like three weeks ago when she put her arm up to me and said the same thing. So that made me feel feel like I was doing a good job and you, you know trying to trying to put that mindset in in the next generation. So you know when you go home to your store, that people aren't giving you negative looks just right. not black skin. That's, believe it or not, and believe it or not, uh, thing that like that like like that happens like you just explained that 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 is a beautiful thing because. Because that that can go a very long way. Because you don't know. Because people keep thinking back in their mind. And you don't even know. Keep thinking back in their mind. So that can carry them such a long way to the next generation coming up. To where if she sees somebody like 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 she's a leader, just say like she grows up and be a leader. She she won't. She already has like that that like that mindset of not looking at somebody because of like not judging somebody because of the way that they look or like because of the way that they carry themselves something like that. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah, yes, that's a phenomenal point. You just, I love that point. You just came up. So obviously I thought of, you know, your daughter, cause she fits in that, in that age group. And, you know, she's, she's surrounded by so much diversity. 
um, between family and friends and um, I'm sure probably her daycare as well. And so I'm just very curious, you know, what kinds of questions or observations come out of her, her sweet little mouth? You know, what, what has your experience been like, especially as she, you know, I know Lauren referred to her as a three-nager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, so I would say in terms of race, I don't really hear much in terms of race. And I, and I, I mean, occasionally she'll say like, you know, like, mommy, I, my skin looks like yours and it's a little darker than dad's, but like, that's the extent. Uh, I, and I don't, I'm not entirely sure why that is. And it may be because we live in South Philly and she sees people who look different from her all the time, which is why I would worry if we ever left South Philly because of like being in an area. So I'm thinking about like, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about Josh being white in Alney at a school that's probably predominantly black, if mm -hmm. not all black, or I would assume probably black and a little bit Hispanic or some Hispanic. Um, I think he where, shared with me that his students thought he was Puerto Rican. Yeah, not surprised. Not like, surprised. Nope, I am not. <laughs> not surprising. Thank you for asking. Uh, but, but I think, but I think she would probably ask something different if there was like, if she didn't see a lot of different people on a regular basis, right? I mean, I think about you know, I think about my block, and it's, I mean, she has Hispanic friends. There's a lot of Asian. Asian people that live on the block. There's white folks that live on the block. There's black folks that live on the block. Like there's a lot of people that live on the block. So she's constantly seeing people who look different from her. Um, so I, I don't, I wonder if it's like, you know, if she was in a predominantly white area, she'd be like, well, why am I, why is my skin darker than some of the others? Mm -hmm. Or if she was a predominantly black area, why is my skin lighter than some of the others? But she doesn't say stuff like that. What she's been, what she does talk about a lot is, no, she's she's a weird little girl. She, she's been she's been I guess she's been focused on and like you don't want like focused on like why people aren't here. So like why some people have died and what death means and like she's like trying to wrap her head around like really abstract like abstract concepts. It's like so well, she's going to be four in a month, and these yeah. are the questions she's asking. Yeah, she's like. <sighs> Well, she's like, why? She's like, why is, why isn't? She's asking Lauren. She's like, why? Isn't, why isn't your grandma here? Where did she go? And is she coming back? Like, so it's not anything like. It, again, race is race is an abstract concept. So it's not. So, you know, people at a preschool probably, I would hope, don't kind of haven't had experiences with race and racism. Or deep experiences with racism, uh, but I think you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to formulate how I want to say this. But I just you know I, I think depending on who you're around, will I mean obviously depending on who you're around will will impact the questions and things that you're noticing and the things that you're asking and the levels of, the level of knowledge that you have, right? So yeah, she's asking she's not asking questions about race. And I think she's not asking questions about race because she sees a lot of different people on a regular basis, especially. And that makes a lot of are. sense. Yeah. 
if we were in another place, I think that would be different. I think those would be questions that she would be asking, but she's not. So other, so there's other questions, you know, other questions happen, you know, mostly, you know, about books and things and, t- and like little shows that she's, she's watching. And she's again, like really caught up on Lauren's family and who's here and who's not and who's related to who. And, and like, oddly enough about like babies. So we took her, so we, t- so we took her to. Bach last uh-huh, week. Uh-huh. And so Bach has the flag. Have you seen Bach's uterus flag? Uh I don't know. I guess did they put it up with they the did. recent okay. Yeah. So 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 Violet asked me, she's like, she's like, what is that? And I'm like, that's a uterus. And she's like, what's a uterus? And I'm like, oh my god, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's 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 part of the women, you know, the the if you have female reproductive parts you can have a baby and the baby forms and forms in the uterus. So she was like, I was in mom's uterus. I was like, yes, you were in mom's uterus. So she had all these questions about coming out of mom's uterus and things being like babies coming out of her. Like, I'm just, I'm just like, Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, thank, I'm like, thanks. Conversations. Bach. Yeah. Thanks Bach for flying your uterus flag, which I totally agree with. But now you have my four-year-old asking me about uterus, a uteri, uteruses, uteruses. <laughs> so those are the questions. She, those are the questions that she's asking. But I do agree with the NASA's. Like, right? you know, like it's a beautiful thing when when we can all just kind of. And I think the thing, and I think the thing is, is that that what he's talking about is, you know, not immediately judging people. And I think that's, a, I think that's a really huge. I think that's a really huge thing. I think it's great that we're moving past the, like, you know, where are you from or what are you offensive question that people are just allowing people to express themselves how they want to. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, Um, because I feel like that's, I I think we're, we're, we're moving past that, hopefully. Yeah. And and reputation, like reputation precedes, like precedes you, right? Like you have things, you know, I even think like, football players for instance and i've made this mistake before like you you know you immediately see a college football player and you're just like they won't cut it i'm gonna be hard on them when that's not a when that's not a thing you need to do right a lot of them are really highly intelligent people who are there and let's be honest like school's their second job right football's their first job school's their second job so you know not not judging and understanding kind of where people come from, whether it's football players or whoever else, I think is really important uh, and very difficult too, right? Because, you know, we all have our biases and implicit biases that we don't even know how we've learned or developed them. So, and I appreciated that they would, they were transparent with me about, you know, we had, pra- they have practice at 6 a.m. And it's just kind of like the way that their schedules are set up and, um, but I was really impressed because a good majority of them turned in excellent work on time that they sure. are just putting in a hundred percent in the classroom and on the field. So. Yeah. And it makes me, and it makes me think it's like, you know, what if you weren't, what if you were putting in the effort? Cause I'm, I mean, my guess is that they're putting in more effort on the field than they are in the classroom, which no, to no fault of their own, right. They're here to play that sport. But I also think it's like, what if you gave me this effort 
all this effort that you give on the field in the classroom because it's, I think it's really really hard to give both to give effort on both kind of in both spots right like to give 100% effort in the on the field 100% effort in the classroom like that's a lot of energy you're using right they're young (laughs) they're young right our last clip is on building trust Mm. um so i will go ahead and jump right into it trust trust is a big thing and um i like to mention before about being the leader and leaders i mentioned growing up with my coaches being leader throughout coming up through high school and now those type of leaders both both a phenomenal relationship with uh, i mean phenomenal relationship and build trust with within the teammates as, as a whole and build and build with trust and build with and build with personal players as well too because that's that's anything in life you don't if you, if you don't trust with a leader you, you don't trust what the leader's doing then you're not gonna you, there, there's no way that you're gonna have like a good relationship with them or you guys can go far in a relationship even like just like dating these like dating somebody or being in a relationship like trust is such a big factor and you don't if you don't have that it's really like that's really like the heart. That, trust is really like the heart, and you you don't have you, you don't have the trust. That's that's really gonna hurt. But I want to speak to you about having trust because you mentioned about you work with uh, kids three to five. I want to mention. I want to ask you about about the trust that that uh, that you have created or that you have came came across within what you were about. Uh, no, within what you've been doing. I've worked at the place where I work now for a bit over a year, and when I started working there. Uh, I've noticed a lot of the times kids kids are excited about me because I'm different than most other teachers because because I'm a guy and they're like oh this is someone I could maybe play with more like they, he looks fun right so, you know I kind of I kind of install a lot of my trust with the kids by being fun and being friendly and like like yeah like I'll run around with you at recess mm-hmm. but sometimes that can then turn on me because then the kids think that I'm like too soft and like won't listen to me when it's like time for story time or like whatever. Like, so then I'm kind of trying to install this, this like trust, like that I have with them. Like if you, if I can trust you that you're going to listen and do what I need you to do during the school day, then yeah, like we're going to have all the fun that you want to have. But if I can't trust you, then you're not going to get those rewards. And I've noticed that when a new person starts working, like the kids just like don't really pay any peace of mind to them. Like, who is this? And like, it, it takes like, it takes a little bit for the kids to like trust them and listen to them that like they have their best interests. It's a uh, piggyback of what you're saying about, uh, about meeting somebody new and building that trust as well. Um, we just added a new, we this coach staff been here for like three four months now so we built a relationship and we built trust within all the coaching staff but um especially in the weight room because because that's where we spend most of our time at we're like winter workouts and so they came in january so i was like winter workouts time so that's when we spend the most of our time at with the strength coaches and it just added a new strength coach to our um to the staff so so we had to build so we got to build trust and relationship with him as well and i felt like it was, it was easy to build trust with him because of the fact that um his background, not necessarily, because he worked with like he worked with like he been a head coach for like the Jets and things of that nature. Like been like he been around with like with like great teams and he got, and he has respect around the world, but also he got ability respect within teammates. And I worked out with him actually today. I worked out with him today, and there was uh, um and I built his trust because of the fact that like I know where his vision is, and and also I know 
his 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 workout. So he took us to a little workout today, and I know that workouts can get us better. So like so like so like that trust, like it's already there for me. it's already coming up there for me. Of course, it's much different than your type of trust with with building within with building with like a young a way younger generation than like than like my generation with with like my teammates as well. So like so like yeah, I, I definitely see I definitely see what you're saying on that. I definitely I definitely understand. So what's your reaction to what they had to say? Trust building is hard. It's hard, but I think the way I think the way to do it is to show people that you care about them, right? And there's different ways and there's different ways to do it. Uh, I think show people that you value them. And I think a lot of people don't like don't get this and don't understand this. But and I think this is what this is what Onassis is saying, right? Like, and actually, this is great advice that I heard uh, from a colleague of mine. But he said he's like, if you want to know what people value, look where they spend their time and look where they spend their money you can tell exactly what they value based on that. And so what he's talking, I mean, what he's talking about is, you know, a strength coach who spends his time working with them wants to be there. Right. I think it goes for, goes for teachers too. You know, I tell and many students don't, don't take me up on this and it's either that they're young or they don't want to, or they care less about school or my classes or whatever. But, what I do is, you know, I, I tell them, I'm like, you have me for 15 weeks, right? Not just during our class time. Like, I'm your instructor for 15 weeks. I have an office. I have a credit card if you want coffee. Like, we can go do these things. Like, like you have access to me for 15 weeks. I email back quickly unless I'm, like, gone or out of, you know, or it's, you know 12 o'clock at night. Like, I'm not going to email you. Um, but you know, I value you and I can show you I'm offering my time for you. So I think that's, I think that's a really important, I think that's a really important thing, right? I think it all comes, it all comes back to like showing people that you're valued and belonging, right? Do, do you, but like, do people value? like, can people, do you feel that you belong in a certain place? And I think that's, and I think that can be, you know, explicit. Someone telling you that or showing you that, or that can be implicit, kind of like the ambiance of a certain spot. That could be, you know, a good vibe or bad vibe. And everybody has different comfort levels when it comes to their uh, methods of communication sure um, and relationship with their professors. And you know, I I feel like it was just such a different experience in grad school because you know I went when I was older. Um, that I had no problem having more casual conversations with professors and having more of a relationship with them because I was in a a different capacity. Um, I'd, you know, even as like a, you know, type A overachiever in undergrad, I'd, I'd, I don't know if I ever really kind of like took advantage of those, you know, because I definitely had professors who were like that, that, you know, even though I had no problem emailing them, um and like communicating any sort of needs or absences you know it's I think maybe as a young person it's hard to kind of wrap your head around unless you have specific questions I think unless they are teaching a subject that is a passion of yours or something that you want to go into so looking at it more from like a networking and advice perspective as opposed to um I don't know, just kind of like an off the cuff. I don't know. I think it yeah, just... no. I think a lot of it. I think it, a lot of a lot of it has to do with how how people orient themselves to school. For sure. Right. So, like, 
I'm not, you know, as I said, like, I'm not that, I'm not that guy that's going to be like, here's the knowledge you need. There's your grade. Get the hell out of here. It's more like I'm here to, I'm here to, to help you understand this material, but I'm also here to motivate you and to get into, and to make you somewhat interested in the material that I'm teaching because I'm probably interested in it too. So I think those are two very different ways, right? One, one way is learning for the sake of learning. One learning, is, one is learning to get a grade and leave, which I think are two, which are two very different, you know, orientations to school. And I think for, for students, especially undergrads, it's very much like, all right, I'm essentially putting a down payment on a college degree so I can get a job. How do I finish this and get out of here and get the grade yeah. and leave? Yeah. And that's and that's should not be the way that things work, right? It should be like I'm I think that's why a lot of students are choosing to either start college later, take a gap year. I know Josh specifically, um, he took a pause uh, on classes at Temple during the pandemic because he's like, why am I paying for Zoom classes? And I, I totally get it. And I think that these next generations are going to continue to, you know, make their own decisions, maybe going to community college for a couple of years and then transferring while they figure out what they want to do. I, I, I think we're definitely moving away from the norm being I graduated high school. Now I'm going to immediately start college and then be in debt. for Unless you know what you, unless you know what you want to do. Right. I think, I think if you want, if you know what you want to do and you actually like doing that thing, it's very different. But I think what's going to, I think what's, what may come to an end is this, is this, is this college being exploratory, mm-hmm. which is not useful because it's so much money, right? So, so if I want to explore different majors and do this and this, and I leave with like a university studies degree, cause I have like, I don't have a full major, but I have X number of classes and a couple different majors. At the end of the day, it's probably a good thing, but it's also probably a bad thing because you're in debt with no real skills. Right. Well, no real skills. Right. Meaning like you don't have a degree in engineering or something. Right. So I think so, which is which is unfortunate because I think if you have things like because that then that then I think devalues majors like English and history and philosophy that are very that are much that are set up for thought and exploration. Master's degree programs, yeah. PhDs, and this, and, and so like, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't like, I wasn't. This is like my first real job that I ever had. Like, I didn't get it until I was thirty, right? Or no, I wasn't even. How old was I? 32, <laughs> 32, 30, 31, 32, right? But a lot of people don't have that luxury. My parents said it was okay for me to explore and think through things and not know what I want to do. Right. School's not set up that way. School is not set up the way to be like, yeah, you know, spend spend four or five years thinking about what you want to do is too expensive. And that's and that's and that's unfor- and that's unfortunate. So then what do you do? You go into something that you think is going to make money. It may not be what you want, but you still have to get a degree so it kicks you to somewhere else. Well, I think one of the nice things, you know, you can pretty much have any major and do a variety of things that um I you know, I one of our other recordings, um, you know, with uh, Sierra and Celia, like they had these like changed their major several times. Um, 
but just kind of had this journey and the way that they described their journey was, you know, what took me like 10 years to get there. <laughs> well, they figured it all out at undergrad. So um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for still like exploratory as long as you can figure out what your next is. But at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, come out the other side and kind of figure out where you're going to land next. And your first job out of college is always going to be awful. And that's just kind of how it is. True point. True point. So, and I'm, I, and I think what's great about this generation too is they're, they're saying a lot more no to toxic workplace cultures and, you know, saying no to places that don't appreciate like a work life balance. And so that's one of the main reasons that, uh, you know, this semester I will be exploring toxic workplace culture in my intro to qualitative research class. There you go. Very excited about it. Well, Ben, this conversation has been very educational. Thank you as so would, much. As for, I would hope. <laughs> thank you so much for having this chat with me today. Um, I can't believe we're 11 days out from the start of the semester, but here we are. Don't say that. <laughs> he says, don't say that. Don't say that. It's going to be a great semester. Yes, um, it's going to be so wonderful. Ben, thank you so much. Um, we also both want to thank Josh and Onassis. Uh, You guys are great. And of course, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Follow Beyond the Venue podcast on Instagram and check out seasons one through three streaming on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Have a great day. This is a Bivesta production.